5: Hey, it's It Could Happen Here, a podcast about usually bad things happening, all the bad things that are happening everywhere, but occasionally about good things happening and people doing cool stuff to make a better world. And this, lucky you, lucky all of us, happens to be one of the latter kinds of episodes where we talk about good things happening. Uh, with me in the studio, which is more of an ephemeral concept than a physical studio, because there's a plague going on, is James Stout and Garrison Davis, uh, co-hosting the podcast. Hello, fellas. Greetings. Mm-hmm. Hi, Robert. Now, today, the thing that we're talking about, um, we, we had a, about a week or so, two weeks ago, a representative, a couple of representatives from the Elm Fork John Brown Gun Club in Dallas, Texas, come in. Uh, and they had been providing armed security at a couple of different Dallas area protests against Christian nationalists. Um, I do recommend checking out those episodes this week. We have one representative from that organization back on. And what we'll be talking about is there have been a series of attempted sweeps uh, in Dallas at a homeless camp. Um, And if you're not familiar with the concept, basically uh, people who are experiencing homelessness set up uh, encampments in order to live with some degree of comfort and have, you know, their stuff with them. Um, these are generally in places like parks, uh, under overpasses, that kind of situation. And periodically, the city will come through and sweep them. The city's language is always very much focused towards we're trying to help them, you know, uh, get into uh, some sort of situation where they can find help. Uh, but what usually winds up happening is the city takes a bunch of people's stuff and throws it in the trash, often before extreme weather events um, It's a really gnarly thing to experience, and activists in a number of cities have experimented with different tactics to try and stop and delay sweeps, and what we've had happening lately over the last week in Dallas is representatives of the Elm Fork John Brown Gun Club uh, have been showing up armed uh, alongside uh, activists with, say it with your chest, Dallas, and the kind of thing that's been spreading on Twitter is, of course, the fact that Activists have shown up with guns to stop the sweeps, and the Dallas police have not shown up to do the sweeps. The thing that often gets missed in this kind of Twitter-level discourse, although is covered in a pretty good Dallas Morning News article on the subject, is that there have also been activists, as I said, from the Say It With Your Chest movement, who have been showing up to help people to provide laundry service, transportation, food and water. And essentially what they've been doing is trying to help people get things together and organized to move to a new location – Um, in a manner that allows them to do so with like dignity and comfort and not get their stuff thrown out by the city or experience violence from the police while it's happening. So um, that is the broad situation. I'm not going to say any more myself. I want to introduce Danny from say it with your chest, Dallas and bubble from the Elm Fork John Brown gun club. Thank you both for being on the show.
6: Thanks for having me. Thank you for having us.
5: Um, Was that a broadly accurate summary of events?
2: Um, yeah, for the for the most part, the city has actually been sweeping several. They're they're cracking down on houselessness right now. Right. Um, very, very aggressive. And so it's not just that one camp that we were defending the other day, but um, the Monday before we were defending a, another camp. And um, I've never seen this many sweeps happen at one time. And I've been doing this for a little over two years now.
5: I want to actually go a little bit into how your organization formed, but before that, do you have any kind of, can you posit why the city has suddenly ramped up sweeps so aggressively in Dallas?
2: So uh, normally I'm talking to the residents. Um, I've never, I've never seen it happen like multiple times in a week. Usually they'll do one, uh, wait a little bit. We'll hear a notice upon the other yeah. one a couple of months later or something, but Uh, multiple in a week at different spots is definitely, um, definitely new to us. Um, as for why the typical reasons are like, you know, the state fair comes up in October. So they'll try to sweep then, um, or they'll do it, um, usually like a housing development, um, and things like that, where like the land is bought up or, you know, something, but recently, um, the motivations have been a little bit more unclear with the aggression. Um, it's kind of the the city in terms of um, how they execute sweeps. It used to be that code compliance could not touch people's belongings. Recently, it has shifted to take everything, throw away everything. Um, but yeah, we still don't know yeah. Why all is happening yet?
5: It is certainly, like, part of a nationwide trend because we're having the same things happen in Portland increasingly, and obviously Portland and Dallas aren't the only cities where sweeps have been ramped up. Um, and, of course, you also have... Oh, gosh, I, I just ran across the article today that, like, there's discussion in certain cities about, like, yeah, somewhere in Florida about, like, putting houseless people in, like, essentially an island compound and whatnot, like, basically an... Enc- like... A concentration camp right yeah um,
7: that's been also mentioned by uh people affiliated with like uh the portland city council and the mayor's yep. office yes like a base essentially getting a concentrated collection of homeless people in one closed off area and you're like huh i wonder i wonder what they mean by that
5: yeah it's it's unsettling so i'm, I'm curious because obviously i think what y'all are doing in dallas right now is extremely important and you've been having a lot of success so far I wanted to talk a little bit about how your organization, because we, we chatted with the John Brown Gun Club folks a couple of weeks ago about how they started organizing. How did Say It With Your Chest get off the ground?
2: Um, so that was interesting. Say It With Your Chest originally started, um, along with a lot of orgs and mutual aid orgs in Dallas, um, after George Floyd was mur- murdered. Um, back in June of like 2020. Um, we started, um, I was in Plano at the time, which is like a suburb.
5: That's and, where I grew up. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 <laughs>
2: um, I was in Plano at the time and, uh, you know, I, me and my friends were kind of like, these suburban people can turn off their TVs and not really have to worry about the protests going on downtown and things like that. So we would protest on street corners and just yell at, you know, white people in their Mercedes and, you know, make them uncomfortable on purpose. Um, Then we started linking up with other mutual aid orgs in Dallas and, you know, was distributing food, trying to carry that stuff up North. Um, And then, uh, then we, um, well, I started going to Camp Rhonda. which was like a, probably the first and like it was a very solid example of a self-sustaining houseless encampment where people were just allowed to be and left alone. we were helping people. A lot of them are in recovery and things like that. And um, everyone looked out for each other. It was a really great community.
6: Uh, before the- That was such a rad project. Um, not to derail it too much but i want to tell you guys about camp ronda yeah like a politically organized unhouseless camp the organizers the outside organizers were there every day helping the camp itself was organized amongst themselves they had political theory meetings they had community meetings to solve issues and resolve interpersonal problems Mm -hmm. fucking rad um and it stayed together for nine months it
2: was it lasted for a minute i know it was a Approximate. it was over six i believe but uh it lasted for a while at one location and then it had to move and then um the next location we ended up moving all the people to they stayed there for a solid 10 months before um the city sold the land in like some under the table deal and showed up and swept everybody
5: it reminds me quite a bit of a, a place I, I, I worked at in Seattle f- for a while, uh, Nicholsville, which was a plot of land a couple of acres large where houseless people had set up, basically built like a tiny home village for themselves. They would provided solar power. Um, they had arranged their own like trash pickup. Um, it was safe and uh, uh, very well organized and very comfortable, like an actual fairly high standard of living um good level like good good wastewater treatment and all that kind of stuff um which existed for a couple of years before the city came in and swept it and destroyed everybody's houses and and forced them you know into again kind of a series of camping situations yeah um yeah which is you know you get these it's it's very frustrating because there's this understanding that like well we want them in I mean, part of the understanding you get from a number of cities is like well we do want them in one place and we want them in something that's more permanent than, you know, a bunch of tents. But if they set that up on their own and have autonomy and have the ability to, like, exist with any kind of personal freedom, then we don't want that, and we will send armed men in to break it
4: up.
2: Yeah, like, the city's like, oh, yeah, well, I don't, I genuinely do not think the city of Dallas wants to house people. Um, Otherwise, the Office of Homeless Solutions simply would not exist. And they wouldn't have a way to just have money sitting around. Um, And all those people would lose their jobs, you know, because it's not housing people. You know, people are like, how do you do that? It's not hard. It's not difficult. The city is spending, what, $2 billion on renovating the convention center. That could house every houseless person in Dallas for years, you know. But Uh, but then
5: we wouldn't be able to have all of the wonderful things. someone who lived in Dallas 15 years, I can remember one, maybe even two times when I went to the convention center. What would we do? Yeah, yeah.
2: I think maybe one time. Yeah. What's wrong with it? To where we have, like, it's Dallas prioritizes developers over anything else. And that is more than um, apparent in how they treat the houseless population. they're definitely, cause it's like my, my problem, right? Okay. If the city, the city is going to do sweeps, that's something that I can't really necessarily stop them from doing on my own. Right. But we can mitigate and alleviate some of the effects of, you know? Um, but when the city is sweeping people in the heat, like this, we're in the cold, elderly, disabled people. It's like y'all really are just telling them to die. Yeah. Um, and the least you could do, and I've emailed Marcy Jackson, who's the um, community outreach chair for OHS, and, you know, she's been like, well, they can go to the shelter. It's a th- it's about, it's within three miles. And I'm like, you, you're going to walk three miles, you're telling somebody who's elderly and disabled to walk three miles in 107 degree heat to get to a cooling station that is only open to like five. Yeah. uh, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance in the city.
1: Just
3: be me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson, rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent, only in theaters May seventeenth.
5: Just for a little bit of reference, too, because like we have cooling stations and stuff up in Portland, and you have similar problems. One thing that is a benefit to folks in a place like Oregon is that after five six p.m., when like this cooling stations start to cool down it actually does cool down here like it gets cool at night even when it's 100 outside that doesn't happen in Dallas during the summer no it's 99 at night yeah I've literally had it be triple digits at midnight in fucking Dallas Texas like that's the place it is
2: it doesn't cool down (laughs)
5: No, so you're still it's it's still a threat to life and
1: limb even when the sun's not beating down on you Yeah. sometimes those cooling shelters I know certainly like here we have a bunch of issues with shelters and cooling shelters and stuff like you don't have privacy, you can't bring your pets, they want you to lock all your possessions up somewhere else. Um, there are like a number of other things that really limit people's ability to feel safe accessing. I don't know if it's the same there, but like, it's not like there's necessarily a place where someone would feel safe and yeah. they're not going there. I just want to make that clear.
5: Pets are a big issue. I, and this is something that, again, when I was at Nicholsville, people would point out that like folks would accuse them of being like abusive cuz they had a cat or a dog, you know, that was living with them in the encampment and they'd be like, well number one like it, it, it's okay for me to live this way, but it's not okay for like a cat or a dog to live this way. And also just like do I not deserve companionship and love in my life? Like this is what this animal is one of the is one of the things that helps keep me. And I talked to a number of folks who got back into housing who were like if we had not had our cat with us like, I don't know that we would have made it because just having that animal with us, yeah. like helped, like it's it's for the same reason everybody has animals, right? <laughs> like
2: Every single houseless person that has a pet has a service animal, has a, yeah. that is a service animal as far as I'm concerned. Would you separate somebody who is disabled from their wheelchair? Or would you separate somebody from their, like their service animal, their dog that they need, you know? And it's like, when you're out there, Um, I know that a lot of people have dogs for comfort, but also dogs are protection. They are security in such a dangerous environment, um, where people are always, you know, like, it's just, it's just, it is unfathomable how much trauma, um, goes into being houseless, especially in Dallas, in places like Dallas. Yeah.
5: Um, so I'd like to ask you a little bit. So you have been, is this kind of the first collaboration this last week or so that Say It With Your Chest has had with the the Elm Fork John Brown Gun Club? Had you guys been working together prior to this?
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, like we, um, I originally met members of Elm Fork when um, Camp Rhonda first started uh, mm-hmm. back in 2020. Um, and we were collaborating on like getting people supplies, um, tents and things like that. I would run laundry um with my org uh and like yeah we were we just you know always collaborated to make sure like the people could get what they need if somebody had supplies someone was able to show up and we couldn't you know uh, just working together yeah
5: and I'm curious um could you kind of walk us through sort of how the what you see is the benefit of having folks who are visibly armed um, for this kind of for for these kind of actions, like how did how did number one sweep defense tend to work before y'all were doing that, and how has that altered kind of the way in which you're seeing the this activism like take effect?
2: Um, as far as I know, people from uh, members of Elm Fork have, have always shown up with um, firearms in some capacity, whether sure. it's concealed or open but um there was a noticeable difference with the open carry um i know that back in february when one of our other camps was getting swept um and they showed up like afterwards we had a meeting with the director of um Home solutions christine crosley she sucks um <laughs> and <laughs> uh she was like people were like we were hearing reports of people that were openly armed and we want to we really care about the safety of like the unhoused residents out there. And I was like, they were more afraid of the cops than of the five people out here with, with rifles. And that's that's something. It's like if you're gonna show up with 12 dudes with guns, what's the problem with some of us showing up with like a little something just in case? You know, the state should not be the only one to have Access to firearms that is very dangerous, um but also I don't mean that in a two-way kind of way. If that makes sense.
5: Yeah, enough. that does kind of bring up an interesting point, which is if you're showing as you're showing up, kind of in this capacity with both activists to kind of help folks with their stuff with with laundry and other needs, but also people who are are carrying AR-15s and wearing plate carriers. I imagine there's like a degree to which you are trying to give people a heads up before just so they don't be like, oh, suddenly there's folks with guns. What's going on? Right. Can you kind of walk us through the community outreach explaining sort of like how you how you actually go about letting people know what's going to be happening and stuff and and what the folks showing up are doing?
2: Well. When it comes to sweeps um, and. Normally I focus a lot on just making sure the people are okay and defending them. Yeah. Um, when I, I do not necessarily like ask for work um, to show up with guns. I'm just more like, I assume if y'all are going to be there, there are going to be, sure. um, you know, and sometimes there was usually the residents are like, the residents have some of the residents have firearms themselves you know so they're like well aware um there are some cases where like people will get a little bit anxious about it and you know we kind of have to be like if you really don't want the guns here then that's fine we can move them but in the past with this track record like usually the city kind of backs off a little bit when they know that y'all are actually protected you know because um the city, is, the city is a bully. They really do like picking on people who, the most vulnerable of us, you know? Um, and so lately the guns have been seeming to like have them back off a little bit. I know when they pulled up, like when Elmport pulled up and hopped out the car with the rifles, all of the cops literally squatted up into like a little, little I don't know, pig circle and they started talking. Uh, and they were genuinely like, what do we do? Hold on. I mean, I thought we could only have them." you know?
5: Yeah. And it's, I mean, that's kind of the, that's kind of the story as we're coming into it right now, which is there was supposed to be a sweep, what is it, five days ago now?
2: Friday. Yeah, almost a week.
5: And y'all have been showing up a couple of times in that period to help people get their, get things together and whatnot and get Get moved, which is an important the the fact that you're helping them kind of move and and doing it more in kind of their own time frame as opposed to the city shows up and you've got to like grab what you can or lose everything um, is important because you're also you're not just showing up with activists with guns and saying like the the city we're not going to let any like the, no one's going to move and we're like we're we're drawing a line in the sand which is not would not be a particularly yeah. safe call I wouldn't think um, yeah.
2: My, um, my main priority out there, because there's a lot of black and brown bodies out there and yeah. um, very vulnerable people is making sure that they are safe. And, um, even before this last one, like a lot of us were concerned about the guns because like we didn't want things to escalate yeah. and we never know with police. Sometimes they get really excited Ooh, when yeah. the guns are out, and then sometimes they back off. It's really, a, a we really don't know um so we were also taking that into consideration um and i was kind of like the young fork now like listen there's a lot of black and brown people out here and we don't want to escalate anything and you know put people in danger um and it seems like this time the city didn't really want to mess with that so that's good but it's always important to keep that in mind anytime you have firearms
5: um, Oh yes population and I, I'm I'm curious um bubble can you talk a little bit about the um how this kind of organizing is sort of different than the stuff you've been doing at, at counter protesting events like what are kind of the different things that y'all are keeping in mind as you as you make action plans for days like this compared to when you know you're showing up to at a at a protest to kind of counter groups of proud boys or whatever
6: yeah it's pretty different um in that when we're doing security for marches or, um, you know, protecting pride events uh, it's not like a direct confrontation with the yeah. government. So it's, it's a bit, it's a bit different. It's a little bit more high stakes. Um, when we do stop the sweep things, you know, we want to, we want to push back, but at the same, um, you know, not be the first to cross any lines. Um So it is, you know, it is it is a more sensitive situation. I think it requires different kind of planning. Um, And of course, there's there's all these bystanders. There's all the residents there who were there to help that we don't want to endanger in any way. Um, Like Danny was saying, I actually had um, what ended up being a pretty cool conversation with a resident afterward. Uh, But he was kind of an organizer in the camp and he was talking to me and he said, you know, I don't think we want the guns. Like we don't want any trouble. And uh, I leaned over to him and I, I whispered to him, look, we're just here with guns to try to get the cops to back off. Um, I think they're actually backing off now because we had actually just heard the cops were going to leave. I said, I think they're backing off. We're gone. Don't worry about it. And he said, wait, wait, you know, don't leave yet. Wait till they leave. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and now that
5: that's, uh, I I am interested. Like, as the uh, the actual folks showing up armed bubble, do you guys have kind of a like standard set of responses and stuff that you work through ahead of time to kind of explain things to people and make sure everyone's on the same page in terms of how they're doing it?
6: Um. Yeah, we have some of that worked out. That's an evolving thing where we're trying to standardize. Yeah, We've worked a long time with a core group of people that knows each other really well. Um, so we have like seen each other at, you know, dozens of these things and we, we know how each other, uh, operate with some newer people coming in. You know, we are working now on kind of standardizing those responses and, uh, you know, sharing our past experiences and our thinking and all that.
5: Um, now question for, for both slash either of you. As you've gotten more into doing sweep defenses, what have been some of kind of the lessons learned, things that have been like, oh, okay, we went into it thinking like this was a good idea and it turned out that like that doesn't work very well so we've had to do this, like just things that have kind of um, best practices that have kind of evolved over time doing this? Um,
2: <laughs> honestly, a lot of it, A lot, when when tensions are really high like that, Um, Because usually when it comes to sweeps, like, I'm the one kind of, like, dealing with um, a lot of, like, overseeing and stuff like that. And when tensions are really high like that, honestly, the best thing is harm reduction. Harm reduction is at the pinnacle of – it's at the core of, like, whatever we do. Yeah. Um, And part of that is meeting people where they're at um, and making sure that we – um, help the people. I show up, I I shit you not, one of the best things that we started doing is showing up with packs of new ports on God. It makes it a lot. Um, you know, when you're going through trauma like that, um, and someone hands you a cigarette, that's, something that not only helps you kind of regulate yourself when you're experiencing this high stress situation where you're being evicted from your home and you're going to lose your stuff and you're afraid people are going to steal things and it's a whole lot. That helps bring people back and it makes it a lot easier for us to um work with people and um still maintain the bonds that we've created and maintain the levels of trust that we have with the community. Um, literally some simple things like handing out cigarettes um during because that's a way that we're like hey we're here for you we know what you need
5: yeah and and we're not we're we're also we're not here to like judge what's best for you you know and do some like nanny state shit like you need a cigarette right now right like it's stressful yeah Yeah. not
2: really like hell i would need a cigarette too you know at that point um there was somebody who was like you're asking people for Newport you need to stop doing that like that's really unhealthy and i thought you were trying to save these people and it's like i'm not trying to save
5: them
2: yeah. for starters yeah i am we're not captain america we're not no avengers okay we are regular people fulfilling a responsibility and that responsibility is to be there for our neighbors that's how movements happen that's how anything happens and all of that is rooted in, you know, indigenous um, communalism and theory and stuff like that. That I think is really important. Is just fulfilling that responsibility and being there for people.
5: And when it comes to, because uh, you know, we always try to provide folks listening in other towns and stuff who may be like inspired by this with options for how they might move forward on trying to replicate some of y'all's successes. If people are looking at, okay, I would like to help. Do sweep defense. Uh, I would like to do, you know, work kind of like this in my own community. How do you recommend? Because obviously, there's, you know, how how to build organizations is another matter. But like, if you've got a group together to help folks, how do you recommend kind of starting the process of introducing yourself? Because you can't just like show up and be like, hey, yeah, like, I just show up with guns yeah. and be like, hey, we're going to protect- certainly not with guns, but yeah, that's yeah. what cops do, and it yeah. doesn't
2: work. Um you have to develop a really, really strong rapport with your community first. And you also need to make sure that it's your community. Like, you know, um, I, I, I spent a really long time curating, um, relationships with the unhoused populations of South Dallas. Um, and that took literal years, you know, Mm -hmm. um, expecting people to trust you off the bat and expecting people to just like, be like, oh, you're one of the good guys. It's not going to happen, especially if you're white. Like, honestly, if we be in, if we keep it a book, because like, there's a whole lot of black and brown people out there in these vulnerable communities. And usually the white people that they see are the white people who are talking down to them and not treating them as human beings. The main thing that pe- the people out there need most is consistency from you. Even if you don't, even if one day you don't have anything and you can just hand out water there with them yeah. and developing community that way. You know, and one of the things that people tell me a lot is that just, it would, it's been very shocking to me how much I've heard it is people are like, you don't talk to us like how other people talk to us. You talk to us like we're people. And the sheer amount of time, I've, I was really shocked by how many times I've actually heard that because I'm like, you know, I don't really think I talk much differently from anybody else but then when i go out there and see other people just random people handing out mcrettles or whatever you know there's definitely a switch like if you were talking to a pet or to a child you know um like you pity something um, yeah. people will not want you around because honestly they don't want your pity what they want is bottles of water you know if you're just only showing up when shit's going down um you don't actually have the people's trust. And I think if anything, that that hurts it a little bit because it's like, oh, I am only here to make you feel good about yourself. You want to be the one saving everybody. It's like, you got to dismantle your savior complex first before you do anything.
5: And I, I think it's good to talk about um kind of how this actually, how these actions actually look on the ground. Because again, the thing that, sort of has gone semi-viral on Twitter has been the fact that, like, you know, people with guns stood off the cops. But if you're imagining some sort of, like, big armed standoff, like, that's not how this has looked, which is the thing I liked about the Dallas Morning News article, um, which we Wait, will... Do you mean the article or the opinion piece? Sorry, yes. The... <sighs>
1: oh, yeah. What's the title <laughs> of the article?
5: <laughs> um, I am
1: pulling it up right now, just to to have that. We'll have it... There's an the opinion
2: ad- piece already?
1: Oh, anytime unhoused people pop up in the discourse, someone is ready to write like a get Yeah, it's the, and the, uh, of the piece. <laughs> yeah, the, the
7: article. The article: Armed activists block Dallas workers from cleaning a homeless camp. That's unacceptable opinion. That's yeah. That's oh, not God. the
5: one I was talking about. The one I'm talking about is titled, uh, and it is a news article: Dallas delays moving homeless camp after activists show up. Which did a good job of not kind of overemphasizing the armed part and talking about the actual work y'all were doing in the community I was kind of impressed with it especially given the Dallas Morning News' most recent like general
7: (laughs) trends shall we say and considering their opinion piece they published yesterday yeah I
5: hadn't seen that one
1: Just be me.
3: Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson, rated R, under seventeen ninety minute without parent, only in theaters May seventeenth.
5: Could you talk a little bit about how these these actions have actually looked on the ground during the day of?
6: Yeah. So on the ground, um, some people uh, arrived very early, and you really never know when the cops in the city are going to show up. So uh, Elm Fork showed up. Uh, close to nine and uh, there are already like four cops there um, and that you know that's unfortunate we probably should have shown up earlier we you know if if we're going to go to protect the other activists you know you don't want to leave the unarmed activists exposed to um, police violence um but either way you know we we formed up it was maybe two unarmed activists for every armed activist mm-hmm. and uh we discussed what to do. Some people decided to block off the streets with their vehicles. Um, the cops were there for a solid hour and a half before uh, Homeless solution or yeah, Office of Homeless Solutions and Code Compliance started arriving. So by that time, um, a, a, a good number of armed activists were there and the cops had been discussing amongst themselves. Um, you know, whatever it is that they were talking about. But when OHS and CODE got there, uh, they talked with the cops for about 30 minutes and uh, then they started leaving. During that time, uh, the unarmed activists were packing things up, um, get, you know, getting people ready to move if those people wanted to move. Uh, one thing to, to kind of go back a little bit, one thing that we've learned uh, carrying is it's very difficult to do the same things that we were doing as unarmed activists. Um, You know, we we don't really want to be carrying tents and stuff while also trying to negotiate, you know, having a rifle in our arms. So, uh, you know, there's kind of a division of labor there. But, uh, you know, before two hours had even passed, basically, the sweep was called off the city and the cops left. And uh, the mutual aid work continued throughout the rest of the day. Uh, Elm Fork had some members switching out. You know, some people had to go to work. Some people arrived uh, around noon. That was kind of the main switch out point. And, uh, you know, a, a lesser number of people, but still a significant amount, stayed there until 4 or 5 p.m.
2: Whenever um, Umfort comes with guns, the main thing that I like to have them do is surveillance and be watching so that way we can focus on um, having other volunteers actually help people, you know, and like have them help them move and stuff. And the surveillance definitely helps because what happens when the cops leave and when the city leaves is that they'll still have people like watching. Um and driving around and trying to surveil us, um, and so having more eyes on that situation and having them know, like, yeah, we're still here, is really helpful.
5: Great. Um, thank you. Uh, did anybody else have additional questions to ask, James? You you had one or two more things.
1: Yeah, I'm like I'm interested in, in maybe asking Bubble this because I'm just looking at the pictures on the on the Dallas Morning News story. Um, incredibly, and, and they didn't lead with a picture of you all sort of. Uh, suited and booted and full battle rattle, which I think is, is good on their part. Um, but how do you present an event like this, right? Like, uh, um, obviously, I think we should probably mention that Like, I'm guessing it's legal to open carry where you are. Yeah. So you're not like immediately criming and, and therefore provoking a sort of violent confrontation with the police. Um, uh, although, obviously, the police are always turning up armed um, and, and that always brings violence into the equation. Uh, but are you like, Masked? Are you full like uh, this person i'm seeing is like masked helmet goggles plate carrier uh is that generally how you present or is that just left
6: up to individuals i wonder um we try to be pretty uniform but it definitely varies by action i think the last time we came out armed um we were not in um helmets and plate carriers um but you know everyone has one now and uh we discussed it beforehand we decided to go that way um we try not to park directly where we're going to get seen you know if possible um because we do need to get out gear up you know walk over in all our stuff um but yeah i think you know for a lot of actions now including security that's kind of been our uh go to way of presenting the full masks are very important. We've moved from like, you know, medical style masks to a style masks just to get more skin coverage, protect our identities better. Yeah, it makes sense. Um
1: one other thing I just wanted to ask and perhaps like explain in, in a context that might might not be relevant in Texas. I don't know. Um in California at least you need two proofs of address to own a firearm, right? Um uh, and if you're unhoused, you might not have those, and therefore people are alienated from what is theoretically their right, um, whether you want to see that as a universal right or a constitutional right. Uh, is is that the case there, or are these people <laughs> able if they wanted oh, no. to? <laughs> Texas doesn't give a fuck. No, no. <laughs> no. Texas,
5: you don't, you don't have to file a 4473 to buy a gun in the state of Texas.
2: My gun literally was just given to me by somebody. I yeah. didn't have to do a title oh. transfer or nothing. Like, Guns are so easy to get in Texas. It's actually really scary. Yeah. If um, it's a private sale, you can basically do whatever you want.
5: Yeah. It, it, it is hard not to wind up owning a gun in the state Right. Of Texas.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Easier than owning a place to stay. Uh, Definitely. Way easier. <laughs> yeah. What a country really method. And house. <laughs> <laughs> okay, magnificent. Okay, well, uh, yeah, not yeah. the case in other states, and it's no. to, I guess, to uh...
5: No, and and nothing that we've said here should be taken as legal advice, re, how to protest or partake in armed activism, because that can vary, that varies wildly based on yeah. your zip code. And everything we've talked about today is a massive series of felonies in a number of other parts of the United States. Like, you're not you're not going to be providing sweep defense in New York City in this manner, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) You
2: do
1: this where I live and Bortak will show up with a drone. Yeah. Into consideration.
5: Yeah. So take, obviously, I mean, that's a big part of what you're saying, though, is you have to take the situation on the ground. You have to take the situation with these people as individuals into, you you can't just, you can't just go in and impose, like, this is how we're going to do sweep defense. You have to be, go in there, like, being willing to learn and adapt, because um, this is not, you know, your day-to-day life, and it is, life for folks there. And you have to come in willing to learn and understand what they need rather than like what you think they need.
2: Yeah. the We never know what the city is going to show up with each time. Like the Monday sweep before this past one, uh, it was all marshals. It wasn't even act like regular mm-hmm. DPD. It was all marshals. They were ready to arrest. They had bulldozers and cranes and all types of shit. Um, and that was also that was kind of off-putting because i was like wow y'all are being mad aggressive this time i think we just pissed them off too much to the point where they were like we have to be you know meaner
7: about it yeah. uh, i mean but we ain't been arrested yet so yeah uh, fingers I, crossed um i do want to i do want to mention one more thing i know we've talked about how this kind of pertains to dallas and, you know, had the similar, you know, situations on increasing sweeps across the country in Portland. Like think uh, last month there was an episode on this show about a homeless encampment in Ohio. And in terms of like similar stuff that has happened to, to kind of demonstrate, this is like, you know, this is a thing going on all across the country. Uh, there was a really interesting s- situation in Boise, Idaho earlier this year that we, I, we may want to cover more in depth in the future. But in uh, January, when it was freezing outside, uh, protesters and, uh, and homeless people launched an encampment in front of the Boise State Capitol uh, to kind of both provide, you know, some type of shelter and community to help keep each other warm. But also in front of the Capitol as like a protest to demand access to shelter, um, you know, in, when, while in the middle of like a pretty bad housing crisis and as it's freezing outside. Uh, people at the camp faced a lot of basically nonstop harassment from the state, whether that's police or like state state police. Uh, they also faced a lot of uh, problems from far right militia groups. The Idaho uh, Liberty dogs showed up to harass people. There was, you know, militia showing up with guns. Um, so you can see like another instance where something that, you know, arm where another instance where armed community defense could be, uh, could be a part in trying to keep of uh, situations like that from not escalating. If done properly, obviously, if done improperly, that can escalate s- situations. So it's up to you know you have to make sure that you're with people who are you who you know who you trust and who are responsible. But it's just it's it's, it's another instance of stuff like this happening. Uh, anti-fascists and other activists were able to push. uh were we able to keep. Uh, conflicts from these militia groups to be relatively low at, at the at the encampment. And after uh, a few months and uh, like, like, courts were trying to sh- shut down the protest that was un- unsuccessful because of certain laws around camping on on like uh, capital grounds for protests. Uh, but after a few months, the protest was able to end, and the city is now uh, been pushed by the protest to open up possibly hundreds of units of shelter in the near future. So you see other instances of, of these types of protests that you know rely on a lot of like radical mutual aid, a lot of resistance to the state violence, a lot of, a lot of resistance to far-right violence, actually being semi like successful. Um, so there's a lot of places to learn from in this type of thing around homeless encampments and countering state violence would recommend, uh, it, it it's going down, has a lot of good coverage of the Boise, Idaho thing. So yeah, that's just like a, a whole, a whole other angle to this, to this sort of uh, trend that we've been seeing the past year.
2: I would like to say that you are not Fidel Castro, you know, you are not the revolutionary leader. You are not the one, you know, like, and you need to keep that in mind when you're moving in these spaces and doing this type of work is if your goal is to try and be like the guy, you know, uh, that does way more harm than good. And that's really important to keep in mind. Um, and dismantling your savior complex is part of that. Um, of course, in that case, you know, the houseless people, uh, Residents were, you know, consenting to it and things like that. But please do take into account the amount of danger that you are putting very the most vulnerable populations into. Um, It is not necessarily a good idea or a morally okay idea to. uh, Make houseless people into your people's army, you know. Yeah. That is not, and I want to make sure that everybody, you know, listening is also well aware of like that is the wrong way to go about this. The people's army should be people like us, not the most vulnerable of us, because they are already fighting very hard. So that means that's like it's the same thing, like saying white people should be at the front lines protecting black and brown people during protests. It's the same exact concept. You protect the most vulnerable of the group. You do not make them um you know, your army and try to convert them into something and be the leader of that either. Um, That is, that is not the way to go about that.
5: Yeah. If you're, if you're, if you're entering into this relationship with the plan that like, this is a way for us to build power for whatever end, as opposed to we're here to like help these people, um, then Mm -hmm. you're, you're putting them second to whatever your political goals are, which is bad, broadly speaking.
7: I mean, and <laughs> yeah. I know, I know at least in the case of the Idaho uh, of uh, of in the uh, Ohio encampment that we talked about earlier this month, um, and the Idaho one as well, a large number of people who were like leading up that project and in, in prominent organizational roles were houses people who were living at those camps. Like it is yeah. very important to have people who are like. You don't want to go in as someone with stable housing and be like, OK, I'm in charge of this thing now. No, it's like the people so who are actually experiencing power. it need to be the like a critical role in actually how it functions.
2: Yeah. And there we've had not we, but like there was somebody who tried to do that. Um, and it definitely did more harm than good. Um, putting your political goals over just the people is always going to fail every single time yeah Um, listen to the people if they're not leading it don't do it you know like at that point your only priority should be getting them what they need and defending them if necessary trying to lead stuff and you know have them putting them into more vulnerable situations than they're already at without like fully being transparent with people or uh being transparent with all the risks involved you know Like it's, that's real grimy, real, not okay uh, behavior. (laughs) Um, So that's just something I also want to caution people against. And all of that definitely roots back to dismantling your savior complex. And there's um, a lot of good um, resources out there um, for starting with that process. If you have not already. Some of them are on with your chest Instagram. (laughs) <laughs> I'll you can out and follow us or something I
5: don't know. yeah yeah do you want to i think i mean i'm 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 at the, out of questions personally do we want to um <laughs> uh end with kind of yeah how folks can follow you and, and stay in touch with what y'all are doing or potentially even support you
2: yeah um we are uh at say it with your chest dtx on instagram um, I also organize with the Dallas Liberation Movement, which is a bigger org that mobilizes across the 9,000 square miles of DFW. Um, I run that with three of my good friends and organizers. Uh, and so you can follow us at Dallas Liberation Mvmt on Instagram. Um, oh, if you're willing, able, and financially stable, throw us some cash, please. And uh, listen to Black women. Listen to Black and Indigenous
5: women. That's all I got. All right, um, Bubble. Did you have anything to add?
6: I think it's important to have a diverse collection of groups. Um, you know, Danny's a hero. She's out there almost every day. Um, for Elm Fork, we do a lot of trainings. We do a lot of classes um, that take up our resources, but we have these long-standing relationships so that we can support each other. Um, when need be, um, you know, take care of your, take care of your spaces, take care of your communities. Like Danny said, um, focus on the people in those spaces, whether that be, uh, unhoused people or your own organizers and, uh, activists, you know, you got to keep, uh, you got to keep things safe. It's hot out here. There's been a lot of stress and, and conflicts and you always have to practice, um, restorative justice and and accountability um and you know just keep fighting keep keep loving each other
5: all right uh well that's gonna do it for everybody here at it could happen here today uh yeah go 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 do something good
2: This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal History.